Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning. My name's Stephen Baker. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're here with us for the first time, uh, we're glad to have you and hope, uh, hope to meet you in person. Um, okay, so I have a question for you. How many of you ate bugs yesterday? Raise, your, raise them high, raise them high. Nice. Even, even Captain Rice ate bugs yesterday. Yeah. So if you don't know, a bunch of folks from our church were part of putting together this crazy thing about cicadas and they had a bunch of people come, like six or 800 people or something crazy, right? And they, uh, most of them ate bugs. So... There you go. That was fun. Hopefully, they'll be gone now. Turn to uh, your Bible, or you can look on the screen from First uh, John chapter three. First John chapter three. I'm going to read to you verses one to three. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would come and sow your word like seed and that it would fall on good soil in our hearts and it would bear much fruit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what is a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christian is one who has God as his father. A Christian is one who has God as his father. And who is God? What God are we talking about? Well, we're talking about God, the only God, the true God, God the Father. That's who God is, that's what God is. God is the Father. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, There is one God, the Father. (laughs) That's what he says. And so any, any religion that says that God is not Father is not true. Islam does not believe that God is our Father. There is no Father in Buddhism. There is no Father in Hinduism, many gods, but no father. But the Apostle Paul says there is one God, the Father. And this is who we're talking about. To be a Christian is to have God as your father. That's what a Christian is. And there is only one true and living God, that's God the Father Almighty. And look at what he says here. Look at what John says in verse one. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Now this is a 
This is kind of a, oh, you know, an engineerish, kind of rigid way to translate this, actually. If you have the King James, or if you're familiar with the King James, the King James says here, behold, right? Behold, there's a big difference between behold and see, <laughs> you know? Now, we don't use behold anymore, but maybe we should, because they're, they're, this is the perfect place for it. It's, it's not just, so this, this translation kind of feels like, uh, you know, a, a, a skinny guy in a lab coat with a clipboard, you know, making interesting observations of the taxonomy of something, you know, it's like, oh, see, hmm. But that's not what it is. This is a command. The, the word see here is a command from God to you, to us. He's saying, look, behold, get a load of this, right? You have to see. And so that means we have to, this is something that we're not used to seeing. This is something that takes effort. This is something that we have to be commanded to see, right? Otherwise he wouldn't tell us, command us to see. So behold, look, get a load of this. Well, what? Well, this translation says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. And again, this is kind of a little bit weak, all right? It's more like, look, where did this come from? Where did this come from? What in the world is this? That's really the feel of this. Where in the world did this come from? What is this? What could this possibly be? This is completely amazing, all right? So behold, look how amazing. What kind of love could this possibly be? That what? Well, that the Father has bestowed on us and bestowed, again, just seems pretty technical and cold and like, engineerish, okay? This is not so much, uh, when, I mean, who uses the word bestowed anymore? That's one thing. But it, this is a free, this is an overflowing, this is a, um, an incredibly generous word. This isn't, you know, receipts and ledgers. This is pouring out. So get a load of this what kind of love can this possibly be that the Father, that the Father has poured out on us, freely given to us, gladly, generously poured out on us? That what? That we would be called children of God. Look at those uh, pronouns there, right? See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we, that we would be called children of God. Do you deserve to be called a child of God? Oh no. What the Bible says actually is that the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, we were born, we, we are by nature children not of God, but children of wrath. 
we are children of the wrath of God. We deserve the wrath of God. That's how we come into this world. Jesus, our Lord, says in John 8, you are like your father, who? The devil. And so you do the things that your father does. This is who we are. That is the reality. And unless you, if you don't taste that, then you'll read this command to see how great a love the Father has given us and you'll yawn and you'll think, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm a nice guy. I deserve to be, you know, whatever. This is, yeah, whatever. But that is not what you're to think. You're to know who you are. And so when you hear this, I, we, us, we are children of wrath. I am a child of wrath. I deserve, I come into this world deserving nothing but the wrath of God because I've broken his law. My father Abraham broke his law, broke his covenant, and he broke his law, and he deserves death, and because I'm a son of Adam, did I say Abraham? Adam. (laughs) Because I'm a son of Adam, I deserve to die too. This is you, you're a child of wrath. You are like your father, the devil, when you come into this world, that's what we all are. And so think about it. Look, behold, get a load of this. What kind of love could this possibly be that the father would call you a child of God? That makes no sense at all. Now, it'd be one thing, you know, it'd be great to be called a child of God. That's the word that he uses here, right? How great a love, how, you know, this is amazing. We're called a child of God. We, God acknowledges us as children, those who come to faith in him. Um, but it's more than that that we would be called children of God. And then he says this, and such we are. Not just called, but are, right? A real change, not a nominal change, not just a name change, right? We're not just children in God in name only. We are, we are children of God. Now, not everybody is a child of God, right? Uh, there's a lot of kind of squishy liberal universalism out there that wants to say that we are all you know, part of the universal brotherhood of man and we're all sons of God. You hear people talking about this all the time. We're just all sons of God. We're all just children of God. You know, everybody's a child of God. So we're all, you know, we'll all just end up together in one happy family, no matter what you believe, no matter who you are, no matter who you trust, no matter if you, if, if you even acknowledge that there is a God, the Father, right? No matter, we're all children of God and we'll just be all fine. This is not what John is saying. There are, as we'll see in a second, a huge amount of people in the world who are not children of God. And then there are those who are children of God. So how does that happen? 
How do you become a child of God? Well, one thing that we have to think about, so if we are children, if we come into this world as children of wrath, that means we deserve the wrath of God, right? That's what that means. We deserve the judgment of God, we deserve the the anger of God. God is angry with the wicked every day, right? We deserve that, all of us deserve it, everyone deserves that. So how do you go from being someone who deserves the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and it's all perfectly just and right, you deserve the wrath of God, to someone who is in the family, how does that happen? Well, there's a word that the Bible uses over and over again, and then we use it in the church and in theology and all of that, and the word is justification, being justified, right? What does it mean to be justified? What is justification? This is at the core of the Christian faith, right? Martin Luther said several hundred years ago, 500 years ago, right, that the the whole church stands or falls on this teaching of the Bible. What does it mean to be justified? And of course, he was fighting against the Roman Catholic Church that twists the doctrine of justification into something that's not true. And so that's why he was saying it. This is at the center of what it means to be a Christian. This is at the center of the church. The church stands or falls on this. But so what is it? Well, justification is like this, okay? You are a, picture yourself, you are a completely guilty criminal, right? You have committed a crime that can only be punished by death. Righteously so, okay? So you're you're a guilty criminal who deserves death. And there is no lawyer who's gonna get you out of this one. There are no loopholes. There are no technicalities. It is as clear as can possibly be, and you know that you're guilty, and everybody knows that you're guilty, and the judge knows that you're guilty. You're guilty, and you, you deserve to die. And so you're standing down there at the, at the foot of the judge's bench, right? And you're, all you're waiting for now is to hear the verdict. All you're waiting for is for that final gavel to drop and the verdict to be announced, and you know what it is. You know what it's going to be. You know you're guilty. And you're dreading it. And here it comes, the gavel drops. And the judge says, not guilty. Right? Not guilty, wait, but wait a minute, I am guilty. Not guilty, free to go. Now if, it, if a human judge did that, we would fire the judge. I hope, <laughs> right? That's not, that's not just for a human judge to do that, to say, yeah, I, I know, I saw it. I saw you plunge the knife, you know, I saw it all, and I know you did it, but I, eh, whatever, go, go ahead. This would be awful, but that's not, so that's not how it works. How it works is the judge says, 
This is God Almighty. He says, not guilty. I punished him instead of you. My justice is satisfied. All the wrath that you deserved, all the justice that you deserve for that crime and that sin, I have satisfied, my justice is satisfied because I poured that out on my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means when we say he died for us. That's what it means, he died in our place. We deserve to die, he died instead. And God's justice is satisfied. Okay, this is what justification means. You all with me? Now, do you believe that? I don't think you really believe it until you taste it. Until you feel it. If, if this was you standing in front of the judge, the man with the black robe on and, you know, the guy down at the courthouse, and you knew you were guilty and you heard the, and you saw the gavel coming down and bam, and it says not guilty, how would you feel? Would you be yawning then? We're not talking about traffic tickets here, we're talking about the fate of your immortal soul. If you believed that, you would be amazed, right? Free, free, everything changes now. Now I'm free and I have not just been I'm not just not guilty, I've been declared righteous, okay? Now, now think about this. That's wonderful, but think about this. The judge has, the gavel has fallen, the judge has said not guilty. You are a notorious criminal, you deserve death, but he says not guilty, he's paid the penalty another way. And then after the court proceeding is over, that same judge right, stands up, walks down, takes off the robe, you know, walks down to the, to the seat where you're sitting there still trying to figure out what just happened, and he says, hey, come home with me. Come home with me. What do you mean, am I coming for dinner? No, you're not coming for dinner. Pack your stuff, you're moving in. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm adopting you as my son. You're gonna be a part of my family now, right? So that's different, isn't it? It's not just, okay, the judge up there in his righteousness, holiness, you know, kind of way up there has made a pronouncement and I'm so thankful for the pronouncement. I'm so thankful that he's declared me righteous. That's great. And yet, then he comes down and invites me in. He doesn't just invite me in to stay the night or have dinner. He makes me his son. He makes me his child. That is adoption. That's what John's talking about. Now, adoption can't happen unless you're justified, right? But we tend to think of of justification as the height of God's blessings, and it's high, but it's not the height of God's blessings, it's actually the beginning. Because everything that comes to us, comes to us because of that. Now now he can deal with us, but not just from a distance as a judge, even as a, a judge who's forgiven, right? Now he can come down and deal with us as sons. 
And that's exactly what he's done. See how great a love the Father has freely poured out on us that we, even us, that us, we would be called children of God and that's what you are. Now there's a passage of scripture I wanna read to you from Romans 8 where the apostle Paul talks about the same thing. And here's what it is, put the, yeah, Romans 8 starting in verse 12. Now listen to this. He says, so then brethren, we are under obligation. We'll talk about that obligation more in a little bit. We are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Think about what he says here. This is adoption. This is God making us his sons. And not just sons in name only. Do you see this in Romans 8, 15? You've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This is, so adoption, human adoption, right? Many of you, some of you, or many in our church who have been adopted by your parents. Many of you parents here have adopted children who aren't yours, you know, naturally, right? And it's a wonderful thing that God has allowed to happen in that way. But there's one major difference, and that's a shadow kind of of what God's adoption is like, but there's a, there's a major difference between God's adoption and our adoption, right? In our adoption, what often happens? And, and all adoptive parents should count the cost of this soberly. What often happens? Well, the adopted child does what? Don't be naive and glib about this if you're considering adoption. What often happens? The adopted child rejects their adopted, adoptive parents. It happens all the time. If you don't know that that happens all the time and you're considering adoption, you need to study hard about how that happens all the time, okay? It just happens all the time. I'm not saying don't do it, but you better count the cost, all right? But that's different from how God adopts us. When God adopts us, he adopts us, and he gives us something what is, that you can never give to your own adopted child. He gives us something, what is it? The spirit of adoption as sons. 
So he actually changes your heart, gives you his Holy Spirit, and makes you just can't help it but to cry out to God, Abba, Father. That word Abba just is a tender, intimate, family, close word for God, for Father. So when God makes you a son, he doesn't change, just change your name and your legal status. He gives you a new heart of adoption, the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This is what you are, not just what you're called. This is what you are. Notice also in chapter, or in, in verse 15 here, look at what he says. What's the opposite of a spirit of adoption as sons? spirit of slavery. <laughs> that, that contrast comes up over and over again in the Bible when it's talking about adoption. Not a slave, but a son. Not a slave, but a son. Why that, why that contrast? What's, what's the difference between a slave and a son? So in the Roman world, back when all this was written, right, you'd have slaves, and they'd be living in your household, don't think you know, American, uh, you know, southern chattel slavery, don't think that, it was different from that. You'd have sons li- or, or slaves living in your household and sometimes they had amazing responsibility and privilege and you'd care for them and, and feed them and provide for them and you read about this relationship all over the New Testament, how masters are commanded to treat their slaves and how slaves are commanded to respond to their masters. If you know the New Testament, you know that's all over the place. But what's the difference between a slave and a son? Jesus says in John 8, the slave does not live in the house forever, but the son abides in the house forever. A slave is not a permanent relationship. Slave is, have I done a good enough job? Am I gonna get fired? You know, am I gonna get dismissed? Am I, am I gonna get sold? Do I, will I have to leave and go somewhere else because I've done a bad job? And so that is the, that's the engine behind the, the service of the slave. It's fear, that's what he says. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. That kind of, that spirit of slavery leads to a certain kind of obedience, but it's not the obedience of a son, right? You, so you, many of you, most of you, I would think, have worked for a boss, yes? Did you love your boss like, like your father? I doubt it. Unless, of course, your father is your boss, but. And so, you know, when the, when the boss isn't around, right? I mean, you're concerned that you don't wanna get fired, right? So you're gonna do what you need to do, but mainly you're gonna do what you need to do when what? When the boss is watching. Or when the boss is watching, you're gonna be especially chipper and productive, right? Because, oh, my boss. Now he's gone, well, okay, you know. 
This is what the Bible calls eye service. Uh, maybe that's the King James, I don't remember, but it's this weird word, eye service, when he's talking about slaves working for their masters. He goes, not with eye service. That means not just when they're looking, right? Now, that's a whole different kind of obedience than a good son. We'll get more into that in just a minute. So here we have it, the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit. God makes you his child, he calls you his child, he gives you, he actually changes you into a son and makes you cry out to God, Abba, Father. Can't help it. It's, it's in you and it comes out. That's what that's one of the ways you know whether you're a son or not. A son of God, child of God. Do you call God your father? Do you call out to him? Does your heart cry out? Now there are implications of this, real quickly here, in, in uh, 1 John 3, that flow out of this, okay? So he says it, look, behold, get a load of this, why, where did this come from? What kind of love could this possibly be that the Father has freely poured out on us that we would be called children of God and be children of God, not just called, but be. This is amazing. And then he says, now look, here are some things that flow from that. Three of them. Second part of verse one, you see that? He says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, do you see what he's saying? You're, you're, you're a part of the family now. You've been, you've been taken from this family, we could say Adam's family, right? And we've been placed over here into Christ's family, right? Another way scripture says is you, you've been transformed or translated from the kingdom of this world and put into the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay, you've been, you've been changed. And therefore, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now think about, I mean, what does that mean? When, when the world looks at you, if you're a son of God, a child of God, I mean, there's no special mark, there's no halo, you know, you, have, you don't sprout wings, you don't start glowing and hovering off the ground and people, oh, there's one, you know? There, you don't look any different, really. I mean, depends on what you look like before, I guess, maybe, I don't know. But they won't, it's not just that they don't know, they won't acknowledge. There's a mis- you are you are, misunderstood. The world, when they look at you, cannot wrap their mind around the fact that you are something other than them. You're a child of God and they're not, right? But misunderstood is true, but it actually, of course, is deeper than that. When, 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 when the world misunderstands you, they also mock you. And I've heard this, I've heard people mock this many times, right? Um, They'll say, look, you know, <laughs> you Christians, you seriously think, you seriously think that God cares about you? 
You think you can pray to this God in heaven and he'll care? He's gonna stop everything he's doing and pay attention to you? You think God cares about you? You think God actually cares about the fact that you just lost your car keys? Now, is it a foolish thing to pray about the fact that you just lost your car keys? If you think it's a foolish thing to pray for the fact that you just lost your car keys, then you don't know what it means to have God as your father. He does, in fact, care. And don't worry, he's plenty big enough to care about everybody's lost car keys. I mean, come on. Let alone the big stuff. But of course, so they mock you. They mock you. Who, you seriously think God's gonna stop the universe and help you look for your car keys? <laughs> Foolish, stupid, arrogant. They'll call you arrogant for that. (laughs) You understand? They don't get it. So there's misunderstanding you, there's mocking you, but then what else is there? Where does this always land? Hatred. As a matter of fact, 10 verses later, in John, or 1 John 3, 13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Jesus says, John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, if you had the world as your father, right? If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And so John says, 1 John 3, 13, don't be surprised. So why are we always surprised when the world hates us? We're always surprised. Instead of just saying, yeah, I know, the world's gonna hate me, and uh, it's not really personal, you know, I don't have to try to make it personal. I don't have to have my feelings hurt when the world hates me. The world hates me because I've been taken out of the world and made a part of the family of God, and the world hates God. You know, this surprises us. Don't be surprised. Take it for granted. Don't get angry. Don't retaliate. If the world hates you because you're a fa- part of the family of God, this should actually be a great encouragement and comfort to us. That's why Jesus said it. The world hated me. Of course they'll hate you. The servant is not greater than his master. So number one, one implication, persecution. You'll be persecuted. You'll be misunderstood, mocked, and hated if you're a child of God. Good news, right? (laughs) But number two, look at verse two. Beloved, now we are children of God. That's what he just said, and he's gonna say it again. Now we are children of God, you got that? And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. So it actually gets better than this. <laughs> we know that when he appears, 
we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Jesus Christ will come, he will appear, he will raise us from the dead, he will transform our bodies. He will change us. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. So we'll be made like him when we see him just as he is when he comes back. He'll transform us, he says, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject everything to himself. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we will all be changed, right? He will transform your lowly body into this glorious body. This is what he's going to do. You don't see it yet. You are a child of God, you really are. You have his Holy Spirit in you calling out Abba Father. You've been justified, you've been brought into the family. But you will yet be transformed. And third, verse three, third implication, third result of this, right? Verse three, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What is the hope? The hope is I will be totally transformed. Romans 8 puts it like this. It says that the whole creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God, right? The sons of God. When your body will be changed to be like Jesus in his resurrection body. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for that day. And it's going to happen, and we, it's because we're sons that that's going to happen. And everyone who has that hope fixed on Christ and the power of Christ to change you, ultimately, to change everything about you for the better, whoever has that hope fixed on Christ does what? Purifies himself when? Now, that's not a one-time snap your fingers kind of thing. <laughs> that, this is your life. Remember what he said in Romans 8 that I read a minute ago. He says this, so then brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Everyone who lives according to the flesh must die, but if you, by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Everyone who is led by the Spirit of God, that's what it means to put to death your sin. Everyone who is led by the Spirit of God is a son of God. This is all wrapped up together. Everyone, John says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Not the super spiritual ones. Everyone. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. This is the effect. This is what it means. One of the things that it means to have the, the spirit of adoption. Who is the spirit of adoption? What's his other name? The Holy Spirit. 
And this is what the Holy Spirit does, is he works holiness in you, real obedience to God. Now, what kind of obedience is it? It's obligation, but what kind of obligation? Well, remember the contrast earlier in Romans 8? It's not the obligation of a slave, but it's the obligation of a, of a son. That changes everything. Which are you? Are you a slave or are you a son? One last little passage I want to read to you that talks about this obligation of a son. What does this look like? Ephesians 5, starting in 1, verse 1, says this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. Do you know how it goes? As beloved children. Not as slaves who are trying to keep the job. Not as slaves who are trying to earn your keep. Right? Right? Be imitators of God as beloved children. So you're beloved. Who are you beloved by? The Father. God. So you're a beloved child of God, and that makes you, in the spirit of adoption, Abba Father, that makes you want to please him. And by wanting to please him, how are you going to please him? Well, you're going to imitate him. What's that going to look like? What's going to look like? Being like Jesus, right? That's what it means to be transformed with the image of his son. Actually, he tells us what it's gonna look like. Listen to this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So you're trying to look like Jesus. You're imitating him. Then he says this, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting. You young men, what makes you think that's appropriate? What? I mean, what he says is no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. But rather, giving of thanks. Now listen to this. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater a covetous man worships money, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, who gets, the, who gets an inheritance? The son, the sons, right? The children. But if you live like this, you don't get the inheritance. So what does that mean? You're not a son. Do 
Be imitators of of God as beloved children. Here's what that looks like. Here's what it doesn't look like. And if you're living like this, you're living as if you're not a son. You're living as if you don't have that spirit of sonship, that Holy Spirit, wanting to obey, wanting to please your father. Having that intimacy with him. But if you are a son, live like it. You don't become a son by acting like it. That's not how it works. But God makes you a son and gives you the power now to act like it. And if you don't, then it must be because you don't have the power to act like that. And if you don't have the power to act like a son of God, it's because what? You're not a son of God. Think about yourself. So here it is, look, behold, think on this. Open your eyes to see this. This amazing love the Father has poured out on you freely to call you, and not just call you, but make you a son of God, a child of God. Think about this, see it. And if you see it, here's what comes from it. You'll be hated, you'll be misunderstood, you'll be mocked, you will be transformed, and you'll be purified. It all comes together. It all comes together. It all flows from being a child of God. Are you a child of God? The only way to be a child of God is to first become justified, and the only way to be justified is by faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he's done living a holy life, dying the death that you deserve, do you trust that for yourself? This is what it means to be a Christian. Not just in name. Churches are filled, this church is filled with Christians in name. Are you really a son? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would do this work that you describe here in every one of us, that we would see and believe your great love poured out on us that we can be called children of God. Make it so, we pray. Make it so. And help us to live out of that in purity, imitating you, our holy and beloved, gracious, kind, benevolent Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.